I think if you compare long-term economic growth rates nationally and regionally, and you can just do that by actually looking at my forecast, we put our 20-year forecast, and they have come down in the longer term. We used to be closer to 3%, and now we're probably closer to 2%. And yes, that's positive growth. I like to relate that to you know, the, the image of a plane flying closer to the tops of the trees, however. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, you know, if you don't have that much distance to the trees, it's much easier to crash into the trees. Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And I'm Maria Dulles from the Citizens Budget Commission. And as you just heard, Maria is back. Uh, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Everybody did a great job while I was away. I had tons of fun listening in to all the guests. I um, was slightly jealous that I did not get to interview them, but Ben and Carol did a terrific job. So thanks to her for stepping in and to the rest of the CBC staff um, for coming on the podcast in my place. Uh, and so we, Maria's back just in time for our final episode of 2017. Uh, we've had a great run this year, as Maria just indicated, with a bunch of great guests. Uh, we have an interesting episode ahead of us here today to round things out for the year. And then we're starting to line things up for the new year. Um, but if you've missed any of our episodes from 2017, make sure to find those at the Gotham Gazette website, at the Citizens Budget Commission website, and all your podcast platforms. Uh, also, let us know what you think of the episodes and give us ideas for episodes for 2018. You can find us on Twitter at TweetBenMax, at Maria Doulis, at CBCNY, at Gotham Gazette. Uh, no shortage of places to find us on social media to send us your feedback and your ideas. So today we are joined by Alex Heil, Chief Economist at the Port Authority, who Maria will introduce further and provide today's data point. Today's data point is 2.7%, economic growth forecasted for 2018 in the Port Authority's 17-county region, which encompasses New York City, Yonkers, Jersey City, Newark, Elizabeth, and more than 200 other municipalities. Long-term growth in the Port region, barring a recession, is forecasted to be below 2%. These assumptions are the starting point for forecasting traffic flows and preparing the Port Authority's operating budget and capital plan, which were approved by the board earlier this month. The port is responsible for some of the most important and most trafficked infrastructure in the region, including the George Washington Bridge, the Lincoln Tunnel, the region's airports and seaports, and the bus terminal on 42nd Street. Its 2018 operating budget is $2.8 billion, and its 10-year capital plan is $3.2 billion. The port is not supported by tax revenue streams like the MTA, say. Instead, it relies primarily on tolls, fees, fares, and rentals, and on borrowing backed by these sources. So, getting traffic forecasts right is especially important and is heavily contingent on trends in regional economic performance. Here to discuss these trends and interesting changes in patterns since the recession is Alexander Hale, the port's chief economist. Alex has served in this role for the last eight years. He is responsible for developing and managing the agency's economic research and analysis agenda, helping to ensure that the agency's major investment and policy decisions are informed by sound economic principles, which, of course, CBC loves. Uh, he holds a PhD in transportation economics from the University of Glamorgan in the United Kingdom, and we are very pleased to have him on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for having me on. Good morning. Good morning. So um, 
there's a lot of talk about changes in the economy. You have your you you're doing your forecasting. Um, what do you see in your forecast? Give us a little insights into what you think is coming for the for the Port Authority region. Sure. So let me let me answer the question by backing up a little bit and and sort of connecting that to the um, the recovery from the Great Recession in 2008-2009. Since then, the region has done a great job recovering in employment and output terms. So if we're looking at this from, you know, and I'm a regional economist, essentially, so I like to analyze this, looking at the New York half of the region and the New Jersey half of the region, which is if you're trying to get an order of magnitude of economic activity, two-thirds of activity and employment is on the New York side, heavily you know, skewed by the city, the five boroughs, and a third is on the New Jersey side. So New York City itself has had a tremendous run out of the recession. I think the last five years, we've had two plus percent employment growth in the five boroughs, which is unprecedented. It used to be the case that we're having two percent growth here or there in a, in a given year, but now it's, it's a string of strong employment growth. The city recovered very fast, and um, it looks like 2017 and 2018 are going to be another you know, good set of years. On the New Jersey side, it's, you know, 2017 has been a good year because we finally reached the peak again, um, the pre-recession peak in 2008. But as you can tell, it took many years to get there. And you know, the prospects on the New Jersey side are just a little bit more subdued. So the, the, the New Jersey half of my region that I'm analyzing and assessing is is following behind the national trend and certainly following behind the, um, the New York trend. And if we're looking at, you know, if we're taking that apart a little bit and we're looking at the recovery in particular in employment terms, um, the region, and that's true for both halves, has diversified itself in employment trends. So whereas prior to the recession, a lot of the growth was driven by financial sector jobs, banking, brokerage, insurance, real estate, since 2008, 2009, there hasn't been that much growth in financial services or the finance sector in general, but most of the growth has been driven by healthcare, education, professional business services, leisure and hospitality, um, some retail. So we're looking at those. Now we're ending up with an economy that is more diversified in employment terms. Unfortunately, the downside to that is that some of those sectors, they tend to be lower paying sectors. So it comes right to always two sides to an issue, and you've had economists on before, it's always on the one hand or on the other, but um, I think going into 2018, you know, we have to see how the tax cut, um, you know, as pretty much adopted now, and, and, and it will, when it will be implemented, how that's going to be absorbed by the region, what the response is. There are certainly concerns on the New Jersey side in terms of um, local tax deductibility in particular. But overall, it looks like 2018 is going to be a relatively strong year for the regional economy. Right. A lot of what we talk about and we've talked about on this podcast is growth is slowing, but that, that's not a recession, right? It's not, you know, we, we've had a lot of growth, as you've said, especially in New York City uh, since the recession. But growth slowing is not, you know, people shouldn't misunderstand that for uh, recession. No, that's true. I think that's structurally true. So if you're going look going forward because of issues such as a an aging labor force, baby boomers exiting the labor force, you get into income inequality being an, being a drag on the economy overall. I think if you compare long-term economic growth rates nationally and regionally, 
and you can just do that by actually looking at my forecast. We put our 20-year forecast, and they have come down in the longer term. We used to be closer to 3%, and now we're probably closer to 2%. And yes, that's positive growth. I like to relate that to you know, the, the image of a plane flying closer to the tops of the trees, however. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, you know, if you don't have that much distance to the trees, it's much easier to crash into the trees. <laughs> so I think that's certainly true. I think we will get some fiscal stimulus from the tax bill. I mean, this is a trillion and a half nationally over the next decade or so, I believe. And, and that's sort of a soft number because nobody really knows. So I think there will be some stimulus added. But most economists' projections currently would put that as sort of a very narrow next year, the year after, a third to a half percent additional growth. So in the long term, I think you're absolutely right. We're talking about an environment where the economy is going to grow slightly slower than we've, accust we've been accustomed to over the last several decades. And I know Maria wants to ask you some more about that, but let, let me just step back for a second. Can you ex explain for folks um, what you do and and why the Port Authority needs a, a chief economist to, to do the work you do? Sure, sure. So I manage a team of economists at the Port Authority, and we do several different things. Let me, let me sort of focus on, you know, the areas that are most relevant. So we assess the economic impact of large, of large infrastructure spending that the agency is involved in. We're, we're advancing cost-benefit analysis and the sound analysis of policies throughout the agency. And, you know, related to economic growth, we're also putting together regional macroeconomic forecasts of employment, of output, of prices, and how that relates to activities at our various so-called line departments. So that's either surface um, traffic across our bridges and tunnels across Hudson, or ridership on path, volumes at the port in terms of trade, freight volumes, and certainly passengers at the airport. And you know, the Port Authority is not a tax-funded entity. We are deriving all of our revenue from activities, from fees, from tolls, from, from other you know, either leases or activity-based charges. So having a better and a good handle on the path the economy is on and the growth that we can expect and how much traffic or activity in general that creates for the region and therefore for the port facilities is important to us. So I'd like to unpack that a little bit more um, because as you said, the economy has diversified. It's diversified towards other sectors. Of course, they are more, you know, lower paying than the finance sector. And one of the things we saw in New York City, for example, was that there's been very strong revenue growth, but it was still below kind of the level seen in the 2000s in that era of irrational exuberance on Wall Street, if you will. So how has the change in the type of employment affected commuting patterns in the region, particularly on PATH and on, on the bridges and tunnels? So what kind of patterns do you see there in the use of the facilities? And then how has that translated into what you see in at the fare box, you know, fare collections, bridges and tolls, et cetera? So um, if you're running a toll collection business, currently you, you've entered more positive territory again, because what we saw starting in 2006 were eight consecutive years of negative growth 
of auto volumes and you know other vehicle volumes as well at our crossings. Wow. And that preceded the recession, which didn't start until 2008, 2009. So it was really a structural change that had pretty significant ramifications for the Port Authority and others. This is a national or was a national trend at the time. And if you ask me at that point, you know, what's the reason for this? The easy answer is always, oh, it's the millennials, right? It's the millennials. They like to blame the millennials. Blame the millennials, right? You got to have someone to blame. So um, they like to have iPhones, but not driver's licenses. They like to live in the city, but not in the suburbs. So if you combine all of this, what you're getting is, is falling automobile traffic. Now that has turned around over the last couple of years. Now two years don't make a trend, mm -hmm. but what we're seeing now is automobile trips that are growing at a relatively you know, modest rate, however, but um, that's in part aided by the low gas price environment that we're in. Your gas prices came down pretty substantially and pretty much at the same time trips picked up. But I think, Maria, to your, to your question, it brings up a bigger, um, more structural uh, issue of where people like to work, where people are living, and what that means for commuting patterns. So we're certainly seeing that some of the sectors that are growing strongly in the city, in particular in employment terms, they're not the typical commuting sectors. So they're not the you know nine to five, five days a week, but that may be a nursing job. And a nurse might work a 10-hour shift four days a week. Well, if you do the math, that's only eight trips into the city and not five. But what we're seeing is, though, relatively strong. Actually, I should, let me, let me correct that. Very strong growth on transit, on our transit system path, which, which connects you know, 13 stations, relatively small. It's tiny compared to the New York City subway, certainly. But we're connecting um, New Jersey into um, Lower Manhattan and into 33rd Street, two lines. And the growth has been tremendous on that system. I mean, we're talking, you know, essentially, you know, hitting 80 million trips this year. And if you're looking at this from a point of growth, we're anywhere around three. I, I didn't check the latest numbers, but three, four percent growth is, is clearly where where path is at. And um, compared to other transit systems, that's very, very strong growth. And if you look at the adoption of the system, um, it's, it's mainly a commuter rail network, so most of the trips, vast majority of trips, are for commuting purposes. And what we've seen post the disruption at Penn Station in the summer when you know, we added additional um, train service and then in September things went back to normal, I believe there were eight days in September when PATH weekday ridership hit 300,000 trips, which is that's sort of the magical number. So if we're above 300,000 a day, um, that indicates very high utilization on paths. And, and we're seeing that there's a lot of residential development in um, some of the, on the other side of the Hudson in, in some of the, um, the areas in New Jersey. And that's feeding some of those transit trips. We've also seen that there's a little bit more reverse commuting out However, on, on path, I think it's, it's more a New York City-centric commute. You do get some intra-New Jersey trips as well, but it's mainly focused on people going into the city. Are there, are, just on that, are there New Jersey, are there industries in New Jersey that have been growing that would lead to, to that reverse commuting? I mean, there's been growth, as I indicated before, some of the growth has been pretty subdued. And if we're looking at some of the, the areas that would be 
generating some of the employment growth that would then affect transit usage is the, you know, the, the, the Jersey cities, the Journal Square, the, the, the Newarks of, of this region. And employment growth, especially in Newark, has been, I mean, this sort of everybody is, is waiting for the city to turn around and has been doing so for, for many years prior to me arriving here, taking this job at the Port Authority. So I think that's still an issue, clearly, and, a, and an area for growth. So I think there's growth, but you know, let's see what happens when there's more residential development and if that pulls in also additional businesses. Because we all know that commuting is, by its very nature, a you know, somewhat negative experience for most of us. So if people can avoid the commute and actually find something, you know, employment that is closer to home, I think they will be open to that. So um, it's sort of the chicken and the egg, which one comes first, but we'll have to watch that. Interesting. So I, I was actually not aware that there had been falling traffic on the crossings. And so how, you know, how did that translate into revenues for the, for the Port Authority? Because that is a big segment of how you fund your operations. And, you know, as, as far as the path goes, we've studied it here at CBC, um, and people may be surprised to know it doesn't receive any tax subsidy the way other mass transit systems do, the way other commuter railroads do. And so it actually relies on bridges and tunnels to cross-subsidize the amount. Um, so, you know, what do you see? How did this all translate into what happens at revenues and sources of, of revenue for the Port Authority? Um, but also, how elastic is that that you know that ridership number? So that can it sustain a bit of an increase in the fare, which is low relative to other systems? So let me. So on the toll side, certainly, if you just look at what happened since 2008, that was the period when the agency raised tolls in you know multiple year segments, essentially. So looking at the bottom line in terms of total toll revenue, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but we've seen growth in toll revenue just because in percentage terms, the decline in traffic was less than the increase in the toll. So if you multiply one by the other, you just still get more, more money at the end of the day, which um, that was the objective considering the Port Authority has <laughs> aging important. assets, right? And we, we have to finance you know, either the replacement or the state of good repair of some of those assets. So yes, obviously that's that's the point. And you know, let me just sort of I think what's usually lost in the toll debate is it's a mechanism to generate revenue. I would also look at it as a way to improve the efficient usage of an asset. Absolutely. So if we're looking at the difference, for instance, between peak and off-peak usage on either the crossings or on path, path is actually much more peaked than some of the automobile and truck crossings are, then from an, from an efficiency point of view, it doesn't make any sense to have all the demand placed on a system in the morning rush. And then at 11 o'clock in the middle of the day, you can bring a soccer ball and play soccer on a train right. because there's so much empty space, right? It's a much bigger issue of how can you even out the peak? How can you broaden the peak? How can you shave the peak and reallocate some of those trips? Now, pricing is not the only way to get there because that's, you have to also consider the impact on low-income communities and, and fair equity and so forth. But one really needs to think about how money is to be spent on capital improvements because you can't just address you know, peak period demands only. It has to be a function of how can we make the entire operation better off? And on the, you know, sort of the, the elasticity of, of 
you know, fares and, and transit ridership. Yeah, I, I think PATH is relatively cheap compared to the other Trans-Hudson um, transit options. So it's also relatively inelastic um, in terms of its, uh, you know, the, the fair pricing that's currently in place. So, you know, even, the, I mean, there hasn't been a fair increase on PATH. But uh, if, if hypothetically there was one, we would expect that, yeah, most people would probably see that even at that point, it's still relatively cheap to use PATH. It's a pretty reliable system. It's, uh, you know, relatively new, new cars. It's, it's, it works very well. And so if you check some of the reliability numbers. Um, but as also, it's a public service, essentially, that's being provided. So we need to also look at how different income groups and, and, and other users of the system are affected, certainly. You mentioned the assets of the Port Authority. What are, um, you know, what, what's happening now? What are the major assets that are being invested in, and what do you hope that results in? What's the, um, and, and you can obviously say if this is not really something that you're looking at, but um, are, there, are there major assets where you're looking at and forecasting with investment that's happening or that we hope to happen or we plan to happen, uh, we're hoping then for these results. Well, if I'm, I mean, the Port Authority is a pretty complex, runs a pretty complex operation because it's not only a system that is focused on the region or commuting per se. And you can, you can go down the list and we can pretty much say that there are investments required across all different asset categories. It doesn't really matter if we're talking about transit or you know, if we want to isolate the bus terminal or if we want to look at um, the airports or if we want to look at the port facilities. I think all of them, if you look at the linkages that the region has to the rest of the world, may that be through airports to so many different hubs around the globe, and the millions of people that come in, depending on reliable aviation services, as well as, you know, we all have iPhones, we all have computers, we have, we have stuff, right? Christmas is just around the corner, so people have been buying and, you know, doing their holiday shopping. And how does that stuff get here? Well, most of it gets here on, you know, large ships entering the port. So it's always easily forgotten to say, oh, yeah, we need more rail capacity. We need more this, that, and the other. But, you know, we have, we're dealing with a port system that's the third largest in the country that, as all the other assets of the Port Authority, is requiring investment and requiring upkeep. And we need to think about, as an agency, how we can optimize the, the capital spending that goes along with that. Now, as the chief economist, what I always advocate is you got to look at some of the benefits in some of the cost of investment, right? So it's all about the, uh, the calculus of how much money you put in, who are the, the entities, who are the stakeholders, who are the users that are benefiting. And it's just important to look at this with a, a, a view that incorporates rigorous data analysis in the form of cost-benefit analysis. And no politics. Well, that's going to run into trouble here in the region here. We all know that. But um, I think no, that... No, that's you know, your job, right? I mean, is it... Yeah, yeah, yeah no, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I think, and that's the conflict, right? You get a lot mm -hmm. of um, projects that are more political in nature than others mm -hmm. and others that are just simply more visible than others because there are maybe more people traveling. 
you know, there are, you know, you're looking at the other projects that, you know, if, if we're taking and adding the lens of climate change and sea level rise on top of all of this, then we'll see that some of the facilities that are operated by the Port Authority, they will be affected. And we need to think about ways in which assets can be hardened and mitigate and, and, and impacts can be mitigated. And that's a multi-generational effort, right? So it, I, I try to tell people that it used to be easy when everybody lived in a tent and the sea level rose because everybody could just move up that mountain and it would be fine, right? You'd be dry again. But in a time when you have trillions of dollars invested in assets and you're, you're essentially stuck in place, now thinking about ways that you can, you can address those problems, that's a much bigger challenge. Mm -hmm. Right. So despite CBC's greatest desires, we're never going to have capital plans that are apolitical, right? It's, it's part of the nature and part of the process of living in a democracy. Um, and we've been critical of the port's capital plan because there seems to be too much of it, right? Too much politics in setting the agenda and priorities. But certainly, I think you would say, hey, there are projects in here where, you know, the cost benefit makes sense and we expect that there will be big returns. So would you say, you know, can you point to one or two where you think, you know, here are investments where the math works out and there are going to be important priorities for the you know, region, um, but also, will the, you know, tech or citizens in the area will get some return on the investment? Yeah, I think the easiest way to see this is for some of the, com the assets used in commuting, right? So that's either making sure that um, investments are made so that PATH as a system can continue to grow and serve the commuters that are coming in from New Jersey. Because it's not just a function of, oh, it's all the people in Jersey that are benefiting from this. But no, you're broadening the labor market. You're allowing New Jersey, you're, uh, allowing, sorry, you're allowing New York employers to access a wider, more productive labor force. And that reaps benefits across the region. And the same is certainly true for the bus terminal. Now, I haven't crunched any specific numbers that I can present here on the bus terminal, but you know we're, we're talking uh, near two, near 300,000 trips a day, which is a significant number of commuters that are coming into the city on buses, and that's an underappreciated mode, right? Everybody, I came in on a train this morning, and it went into Penn. It was on time. It was beautiful. It worked very well, but. People coming on buses, it's a large number of people. If we're looking at the income of people that are traveling by bus compared to, uh, you know, some of the, the bus commuters in the peak hour actually are pretty high-income high individuals that are coming into the city. Um, and not that income is, is the relevant metric here, but I think it's important to look at this from the point of view of how can we make sure that the labor market in the region overall is going to be served well. And, you know, not, I mentioned the port facilities before, and some of the port facilities, not just because of climate change, and they are facing the water right there, but also larger ships coming in, there are more goods, the port is going to be always going to be an entry point of cargo that comes to the United States and then goes from here on rail or truck to other parts of the country. So it's not very glamorous because we're talking freight, but it's certainly important. The one thing that I always find important with the, um, and critical with the sort of um, the calculus of spending money on infrastructure is most of these assets have long lifetimes. So you're committing funds today to 25, 50, 75, 100 years of you know, the, uh, the life of an asset, maybe a tunnel or a bridge or whatever facility you're talking about. And in the meantime, the economy and people 
they don't stay static and in place, right? They start moving around. So I think it's important to think about this not just as saying, oh, we just need all these assets added to the already existing portfolio of infrastructure in the region, but also how can we use the existing assets in a smarter way? How can we increase utilization? Are there ways in which businesses and people can alter behavior potentially incentivized by policy so that, for instance, they could travel off-peak, which then takes some of the sting out of the peak period, and therefore it takes some of the need for capital spending on peak period capacity away, which always, from a cost perspective, is the most expensive. So if you wanted to add capacity in the morning hour between 8 and 9, that's going to cost you more than, than doing it elsewhere. So, you know, I think there's an important, and coming back to cost-benefit analysis, there's an important, um, there's important analysis and assessment and just realization that needs to be done here on how those scarce dollars, and all the agencies are, are, you know, have scarce funding sources at this point, how they can be spent, however, in a way that we can optimize the services overall provided to residents. So in our last uh, few minutes here with Alex Hale, Chief Economist of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, uh, thanks again for, for being with us here today. Um, there's a new governor coming in in New Jersey. Um, has he signaled anything that has affects your job, has caught your attention in terms of his priorities? Is that uh, something that even matters to your day-to-day? -day? How does that work? No, it will matter. I, I haven't been involved with any of the transition teams, um, of, of which I've heard that there are you know, quite a, a number of people involved. I would expect, and not to put words in, in the governor's mouth, that the emphasis is going to be on you know, state finances, for one, especially the tax bill may have an impact on, as we were saying before, the state, but also transportation. I think that you know we need to look at some of these. I mean, I live in the Midtown Direct Corridor in Jersey, and I go into the city every day. Those properties there and the residents of that part of New Jersey, they benefit greatly from efficient rail service coming into Penn or into Hoboken. And I'm, I'm pretty certain that that's going to be a priority for the governor. But at the same time, I personally would also think that um, issues such as you know how the how the New York um, region and New Jersey in that in that case in particular can address the challenges of climate change you know the entire coastline was pretty much um, devastated as a result of Superstorm Sandy so how are we going to rebuild what kind of incentives can we put in place so that we can incentivize people and businesses to reuse and enhance renewable energy what can we do to really turn this into an economy that is also standing alone and is diversified enough so that it doesn't just become the, you know, the residential location of a lot of workers that then move into New York City for work and, and play and other purposes. Because I think that you know, of the 8 million people in the state, you know, there are, there's a lot of economic activity that takes place. There are a lot of businesses. There's a lot of, historically, that's been happening there on uh, technology uh, developments, pharmaceuticals, and, and other sectors. So I think looking at what is great about the New Jersey counties that are both close to New York City as well as farther away in terms of access, mobility, 
um, high educated labor force. There's a lot of assets that one can draw from as an incoming governor, and I'm hoping he makes the best of it. And uh, you've we've referenced a couple of times this federal tax uh, cuts, reforms that are coming through. They seem like this is all happening before Christmas, uh, as as we sit here today, uh, moving moving ahead. Um, a couple of things on the federal front as we, we wrap up, um, and I don't know if Maria has another question for you, but um, one, just a little bit of, uh, do you have forecasts yet in terms of how the, the federal tax bill might affect the region, and um, do you expect New Jersey and the New York City area to lose you know, high earners. That's one of the one of the things that some people have warned against. Governor Cuomo has talked about that a little bit about being worried about people leaving that are you know a big part of the tax base. So that's one question in terms of forecasting. The other one is um, somewhat separate in terms of federal funding for any big assets and big port authority projects. You know, what do you what do you see on that front? So on the um, so the, what are the impacts from the tax bill? I think, you know, as, as many other economists have done, it's relatively easy to come up with an assessment of what it will mean for headline growth. And that's just simply saying that this is fiscal stimulus added to the economy. It will add um, growth in, you know, in the order of magnitude of maybe a third of a percent to half, maybe three quarters. It depends on how, how, how some of those precise changes trickle through, but I would expect that the headline number, nobody really disagrees with this. I think that there will be growth. I don't think that it's really well understood, sort of under the hood of the car, how it's going to affect people. Yes, I think, you know, I'm, I'm one of them who's going to be affected by, I mentioned local tax deductibility issues, and, and for some people, depending on you know, their family circumstances and income that can be somewhat negative. I mean, Mark Zandi just mentioned that, you know, New Jersey was essentially, that's the, that's the bullseye when it comes to the impact of the tax bill, and I think he is right about that. But it's very difficult to then take that a step further and extend and say, oh, so many thousand people or so many businesses are going to leave the state because people depend on networks, they have families, they have jobs, they have kids in school. So, you know, just because there's a tax bill um, that is too complicated to understand right now, they're not going to up and leave necessarily. And businesses, I think personally, based on the data that I have seen, business location decisions are complex. It's a mosaic of issue. Taxes play a role. Um, I think, though, as long as um, businesses feel that they can benefit from being in the greater New York area, then they may stick around. But yeah, on the margin, it will affect businesses. And let's just see what happens. I think one of the, one of the, um, um, the areas that is clearly not very well understood is, is the whole pass-through entity. So are there a whole bunch of people that are going to turn themselves into pass-through right, entities? Right. And what that actually means for revenue projections under the bill and the fiscal impact thereof. So I think that's sort of a little bit, um, that's clearly a question mark. And, and on the um, infrastructure funding support from the federal government, um, I think it's clear if we're looking at the region that the region is a main contributor to national economic growth, national output, and um, you know, innovation, 
improvements in, in various fields that are important for the economy. So I would think that that's being recognized on the federal level and that money will be made available here competitively, right? I'm all for competitive assessment of uh, projects in terms of what are the benefits, what are the costs? Let's just look at them. How do they rank? How do they compare with other projects around the country? I think um, because of the criticality of the New York City economy, I think it's easy to make a case, but let's look at some of the data. And I would hope that, you know, a federal administration is going to then, you know, follow through with uh, supportive funding policies. Right, everybody's going to be watching to see how this unfolds in the coming year, but really all of the effects of may be really influencing behavior in a longer-term arena that won't be so easy to grasp initially. Um, so we'll be watching, and we'll be talking about that more in the podcast in 2018. Alex Hale from the Port Authority, we thank you for, for joining us here today, and uh, we'll be definitely staying in touch with you to see uh, how your forecasts and your analyses are shifting or what your new uh, forecasts and analyses are in the new year. So thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me and uh, happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays and take the time while you're off to listen to all the episodes of the podcast that you may have missed, just like I'll be doing. Bye.